Let's keep it real, people. How are you? How the heck are you? Let me start out again thanking you for all your referrals. What would I do without you? Great clients, corporate individuals, speaking engagements, workshops, my books are selling. People are listening to my podcast. Well, why wouldn't they? I have some awesome guests on. I always learn so many things after I've interviewed my guest. I always think, what else could I possibly find out about how to show up in the world? And man, oh man, I'm always shocked. My next guest, I wasn't quite sure if he would fit my audience because it was mostly about B corporations, which I like B corporations, being socially responsible in the world. But the more I spoke to him, I realized I definitely have to send this out to my audience. He spoke not just about B corporations, but giving back in the world, volunteering, community service, not just posting on social media, but taking action, getting your hands dirty in all the different ways that you can help out. Definitely inspired me. I started thinking, hmm, I don't know if I've been doing as much as I usually was doing in the past. So gave me food for thought. I'm sure there's many, many ways to give back. There's not just one way that can fit you, your passion, and your lifestyle. You're going to love this. You're going to love him. Enjoy, rate, follow, subscribe. It really, really is appreciated and really does help. Toodles! This is Let's Keep It Real with Sandy Joy Weston, your weekly dose of positivity with awesome stories and guests from all over the world. It's an opportunity to learn some great new things and expand your mind. We'll tackle topics from all areas of life, and as always with Sandy, the sky's the limit. Hello, hello, my Let's Keep It Real people. Well, I am so excited about my guests. We have never, ever in all these years, and how many years have I been doing podcasts? Ten. Have I had anyone on to talk about B Corps. So this is exciting for me. This is a first and you know I love first. But before I bring Nathan on, let me tell you a little bit about him. Nathan is an award-winning leader in the B Corp community in addition to his role as the Director of Corporate Culture and Strategic Impact at Ad Victorium Solution, a certified B Corp. He also founded and runs B Local Georgia, a nonprofit dedicated to growing the number of purpose-driven businesses in the Peach State. Oh my God, I love that. Nathan also teaches an MBA course on B Corps at the University of Georgia and is the CEO of Profitable Purpose Consulting, which helps for-profit businesses certify as B Corps. Nathan, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. I'm so pumped. My pleasure. And if you're excited to hear me talk about B Corps, I get just as excited to talk (laughs) about them. So the feeling's mutual. All right. But before I get into that, I always ask all my guests in the past 30 days, if you could pick one word to describe how you felt, what would it be and why? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> let's see here. I was going between perseverance because it's that stretch of the year between holidays, you know, where you, you're off most of December and then you have to make it till Memorial Day. I would say energized. I'm, I'm almost done with my first book. Um, there's just so much cool th- stuff going on and being back in person networking. Yeah, let's go with energized. 
Energize put running on fumes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) Well, there you go. But you were telling me before we came on that you're back out there a lot more. Yes. Yes. I've been, I mean, I've had some crazy weeks. I live about an hour and a half from Atlanta, depending on what time of day I drive in. And I've had weeks where I go in Thursday for an event, drive back, have an event Friday in Athens, and I'm driving back to Atlanta Friday for an afternoon event. I've been, I've been soaking it all up. I'm an extrovert. I have, Zoom was great. I honestly met a lot of people because it was, yeah. you could do a networking events. You know, that's not sustainable going back and back and back and forth. And, you know, yeah. but it was over Zoom. But I also reached a breaking point with Zoom where I could do that anymore. And honestly, I think everybody was where you notice those events <laughs> just stopped happening. So yes. it was great because yeah. I met a lot of new people. But it's been even better now getting out like that Thursday, Friday, those those two events back to back in Atlanta. I met people that. I've known for two, three years now, and I'd never met in person, so it's been great. Yeah, so much fun. All right, so what I do before you come on, I ask my peeps to send me in questions, anything they have for Nathan Stuck about B Corporations, his life. The biggest question people had is, why? How did you get into it? Like, take us back for your college years. How did it start, Nathan? Oh, this story, I'm so well-versed right now because this is a lot of what my book is about. So, uh, oh. so I'm honestly, I, 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 in 2000, I graduated in 04 and I worked, you know, and I, I, I took a job in Athens because I had a girlfriend who was still at UGA. And then that job, I kind of burned out. We broke up. I'm kind of looking at going, why am I still in Athens? I moved out to Las Vegas, um, played poker for a little bit. Not, I was never on TV, uh, playing professional wait a minute, poker. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Like she were a professional poker player? Yeah, but I mean, it's not as it's not as <laughs> glamorous as I'm sounding. <laughs> no, I've seen a lot of uh, like Fremont Street, like the card room at like midnight, and you're waiting for people to like tourists to get drunk, so you can kind of sit down next to them and bully them around the table a little bit until they have one cocktail too many and start playing a little too loose. Playing in tournaments, it you know that would start at 11 p.m. and they end at five in the morning. Um, yeah, so I did that and then just realized, I bet you have good stories. I still remember one guy and, and my family's all originally, my mom's German, but they settled in Michigan. My mom or my dad's from Michigan. So I speak Midwestern very well and Midwesterners are so honest and nice. And there was somebody, we were playing a tournament and about halfway through it, we went on a 15 minute break and he was smoking a cigarette and I was just talking to him. And he told me his entire strategy on how he played poker. He was from Wisconsin. Nicest guy in the world. And we get to the final table and who's sitting to my left, but Mr. Wisconsin over here. And <laughs> unfortunately he had given me his entire playbook earlier. So he didn't last he didn't last long at the final table. And I, I wrote a lot of his chips to a uh, a nice little it was like an eleven hundred dollar night for me or whatever it was. So but it was but it, that's the grind. It was you make eleven hundred bucks and then, you know, the next morning you're down in your uh apartment office, you know, paying your rent and then it's like, okay, what other bills can I pay? I'm like, okay, good. I'm I've got another month, you know, and then you just go and then you do it all over again that night. So but I, I realized I like paychecks and and benefits and so I honestly I took a job with Enterprise. I ended up working for Enterprise for five years. And it's funny because there's no real purpose in any of that. But it was it, a lot of the skills I took out of that job I still when I came into my current role and I had to do a lot of operations work. Yeah. I took everything Enterprise did and I translated it to consulting. And, you know, KPIs, everything. I just it, it it was such an and I did sales for three years for them as well. Which you know, any entrepreneur will tell you that whether you want to or not, you're going to do sales because absolutely when it's just you, you're selling. Um, you can't really 
hire sales team when you don't have revenue yet. So uh, I took a lot of those skills. I moved back to Georgia and then just 2013, kind of the wheels came off. I got laid off twice in 2013, saw some of the worst sides of capitalism. Uh, 2014, I took what I thought was my dream job and it turned into a absolute nightmare. So, so much so that I would never advise anybody to do this, but I quit through an email. And when I came back to Athens, I was, I was burned out on capitalism. I was reading Thomas Piketty's Capital in the 21st Century. I was (laughs) just figuring out like, what is it I'm going to do next? And when I settled on the MBA, I had a year to kill and I did signed up to drive. I was honestly, I was Athens, Georgia's first Uber driver when Uber launched here. And then I was doing setup, you know, minimum wage setup shifts at the, at the convention center. I was bartending and I met all these people who were working two, three, four part-time jobs to pay the bills, no benefits. And for me, I had this light at the end of the tunnel, which was, you know, an MBA program and, and a grad assistantship and checks. And and I wasn't going to do this for more than a year. And how serendipitous that I end up my end of my first semester in the MBA program, getting introduced to a B Corp project. And I'm like, this is, this is the capitalism I've been looking for. Ah. Cause I don't, when you're burning out on capitalism and reading Thomas Piketty, you probably shouldn't go to an MBA program, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I ended up there anyway. And, and yeah, that program fell on my lap and, and it was, you know, it's capitalism with guardrails. It's capitalism with, with ethics and standards and just, we can make, and it's the same tenets of, you know, you get paid for the value you bring to the marketplace. It's just that you don't have to crush people, take advantage of people, cut corners to make that money. You can do it in a way that you sleep well at night. So I fell in love. By the way, I love your journey. Oh my goodness. There's like a podcast in each of those jobs. The people you I, and I And I condensed it. There were a couple I didn't even, there were a couple I didn't even talk about. <laughs> All those jobs are fascinating to me. And the people you met, oh my goodness, I love it. I love it. All right. So this one young man, the first question he had about B Corps is, do you have to be a certain size, make a certain amount of money? And is how my friend tells me it's really difficult to get the certification. That's a lot in there. Yeah, so there's no real specific size. Um, my, I mean, even in B local Georgia, even my little consultancy that I run, you know, in addition to my my full time day job for so the company I work for is the largest B corp in the state of Georgia. We have 150 employees. Uh, my little consultancy is just me, and I'm I'm almost done with the certification process right now. So you see solopreneurs in there. You see, you know, Danone North America. Well. I, Danone, all of the parent company is certifying all the subsidiaries, but Danone North America is the largest B Corp in the world. So yeah, they come in varying shapes and sizes. Um, I'm trying to think of what was the rest of the question. Oh, is it difficult? Yes. yes. I think the biggest hang up is there is a, like a legal requirement because the whole purpose of this exercise was stakeholder protection and stakeholder primacy versus the Milton Friedman shareholder primacy views of kind of whatever we want to call them. The 70s are basically always until recently. Yeah, yeah. So the legal requirement is if you're an LLC, you just have to amend your articles of incorporation to include stakeholder governance. And if you are an S Corp or a C Corp, if your state has public benefit corporation legislation enacted, then you would have to reincorporate as a uh, public benefit corporation. Yeah. So, but yeah, I'm, I think that, uh, and just to kind of, I guess to give some context on stakeholders that, that, that it's 
shareholders are more there is there is baked into most corporate governance is a fiduciary duty to do what's in the best interest of shareholders and yeah. that's where that's where a lot of this has gone off the rails of of what term are we looking you know it's it's driven a lot of like quarter to quarter decision making versus long term impactful decision making that that has harmed a lot of the externalities like the environment and workers and yeah. things like that because you have to show you have to show the street wall street you have to show them returns immediate yeah, yeah. versus yeah. long term focus you know I went to a meeting uh, years ago about, you know, being a B Corp. And I just lit up that there were people out there really pushing this. And this was years ago. And showing people how the biggest concern that you, you could be profitable and do good. And that was a big thing to everyone in the room. Most of the people in the room, Nathan, was like, yeah, if I do all that, I'm, uh, there goes my profits. Yeah, I've heard that before. Um, <laughs> where a lot of people think that we're like all nonprofits. I'm like, no, these are yeah. only for profits. It's not open yeah. for nonprofits. Yeah, and it's so interesting because you hear those. I remember being at a conference in Amsterdam right after we certified. And this is a funny part of the story where I – it was the B Summit. I hear Summit. I think Global Summit. So I get my boss. I get him all excited about it. And he goes, all right, here's your budget. Go. And then I realized, well, the Beast Summit's just for European companies. But anyway, I'm there, the only American. And uh, one of the guest speakers, there was another American, he was a guest speaker, and this panel he was on was getting a little way, uh, it was getting, it was going away from kind of the more like profitability focus, and it was more all about purpose. And yeah. he stops the panel. It's the, it's Chris Mann who owns Guiaki that makes the yerba mate and the yellow cans. Yeah, and yeah, he yeah. says, hey, hang on here. This is all great. But just remember, no profit, no purpose. If you stop making money, you have no business. You can make no change. And that, so that's always stuck with me. And I mean, there's other iterations of that expression, you know, no margin, no mission, yeah, no profit, no purpose. But that has been something that has always stuck with me of the you do still have to make money. So you yeah. have to do these things. And, and so you can't do everything. You're not, I don't want to say you're not going to save the world. You're going to impact the world positively, but you do still have to figure out a way to make money and keep your people employed yeah. and, and turn a profit and, and grow and scale just, just like traditional businesses, but you can do it. And maybe you're at growing at a rate of 10% instead of 15%, but thinking about those things. And honestly, now with more and more awareness towards this type of business, I think it's actually, I think you'll start to see the ROI flip and I think you'll start to see these companies become more more and more profitable and um, generate more and more revenue. You know, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, I've owned health clubs my entire life and my business partner used to say to me now and then, Nathan, ah, uh, Sand, I just want to know, I get we're doing good in the world, but are we a business or is this just an elaborate hobby? <laughs> I would laugh because he was right. Like, if it's a hobby, I'm, I'm with you. But I thought we were a business. And he would remind me that if I wanted to make the impact I, you know, I really wanted to do in the world, we had to make money and pay our people well. Yeah. And I mean, and that's the thing is I think it can be both. Um, I think that's the beauty of a lot of the 
the assessment that you actually go through is it forces you to quantify so many things and so many components of your business. So for us, like it was always, you know, where we do Salesforce consulting and they don't let me touch the technology. I'm not smart enough. I work with some really brilliant people, but we, you know, and, and we, we were always kind of committed to like, oh, you know, like we, we, you know, gender equality and diversity and, and then you start running your numbers as you go through the process and you're quantifying what your company looks like. And you're like, I guess we don't care that much. Um, just judging by who we've hired. And, and there, it, it wasn't from an intentional bad place. Yeah. Yeah. But it was the impact was that we were 74% white guys and kind of like looking around and looking in the mirror and going like, okay. And the initial reaction sometimes is to get a little defensive and say, well, it's IT and that's what IT is. And, you know, and then we kind of all pushed back and said, but what if we just tried a little bit harder? You know, what if we, what if we thought a little bit more about how we go about where are we recruiting? What does our job description look like? You know, we don't have to, we're not going to get to 50% overnight, but where could we get that number to realistically over the next year of hiring and retention? And so, you know, fast forward three, four years, and we're now 46% white guys, which in the IT industry is really, really good. And we're above our ecosystem average for gender, for for racial diversity, for even age diversity. So I would say we've done pretty good. And, and we're yeah. so, I mean, are we changing the world? No, but I think it, it has forced us to think more intentionally about what we do and how we, you know, even setting ourselves a budget where you're like, okay, you know, even in the health center space, I would say, okay, maybe you people can use the space or you'd let a nonprofit have an event in the whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, okay, how much are we donating? Okay. Well, yeah, we donate all this. To ch- and then you start actually figuring out like, what do we actually <laughs> donate in terms of revenue, you know, and lost revenue yeah, yeah. or pre- and then, like the first time we did it, we're like, "Oh, that's that's not a lot. <laughs> it's like 025 percent." Yeah, you know. And I'm like, "Okay, so what's the industry standard?" And we start looking around at you know the Patagonias of the world, and then you start looking at, "Okay, what's maybe a little more attainable for a small company?" And so we settled in on two percent of pro bono product and volunteer time. So you know, just giving ourselves goals that we could hold ourselves accountable to, but then also to realize that we do still have a business to run. I know that if every single employee at our company took all forty hours of volunteer time off, it would cost us well over a million dollars in lost revenue. That's a lot of money. But offering that volunteer time off, everybody takes. I think seventy per sixty percent of our team last year took at least some portion of it. So to me, wow. that's a win. Like they're they're taking advantage of these these benefits and. But, you know, just realizing that if, yeah, if we try to fix everything and say yes to everything, we will eventually go out of business. So you still have to keep that business mindset front and center, but then also kind of be measuring things to realize how are we, how are we tracking towards our goals for the year? Um, and, and that's both on the profit and the purpose side so that we can yeah. make good decisions for the long-term success of our business. You know, I love that you said that about you didn't do it on purpose. And it really is mostly about the awareness, just even being aware, like, this is what we're doing. Are we okay with that can make a huge difference in a corporation. Yeah. And I think you're starting to see that. Uh, I always talk about Gen Z. I love Gen Z because they <laughs> take nothing, take they take nothing from nobody. Um, so no, they don't. No, they, they don't. And I'm an I'm an older cusp millennial, upper cusp millennial is what I call it. Yeah, basically upper I'm, cusp, I'm old, but I'm. Uh, it basically means I'm at the far end of the the bracket for millennials. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> um, so you know, and I feel like my general, you know, I think back to some of those early jobs and going like, why do we do it this way? And what, 
who, you know, like even at Enterprise, like, why do I have to shave every single day and wear a suit when I rent cars for a living? You know, those types of things, these like old school ways of thinking, but we put up with it because our parents told us to put up with it and it is what it is. And you go to work and you work hard and you move up and you get promoted. And then Gen Z showed up and was like, burn it all to the ground. Uh, (laughs) and, and I, I think that they help millennials find their voice. Yeah. I really do. I think that they, and then as, as they were coming in and like just demanding everything changed, millennials had grown into positions where we were corporate directors and we were VPs and we, you know, we were well into our yeah. mid to late thirties. And so now that Gen Z's here, we're all kind of like, okay, cool. You want to do that? I got your back. I can sell it to the C-suite, um, who's a little bit older than me. So those types of things I think have really helped us move the needle on what it means to be businesses and yeah. i and honestly to me it's it's good old-fashioned supply and demand because the more and more of those gen z's that are in the workforce and millennials i think like 80 percent of our company is under the age of 40 so whether and our yeah. c-suite is very supportive so i'm not using us as an example but whether they yeah. would want to or not they realize they have to and i think cool. you're seeing that in a lot of advertising now i think you're seeing it in a lot of commitments to you know Everything from environmental commitments to diversity and inclusion commitments to you're seeing all these things play out. Um, and I don't know necessarily that any of these corporations are like a hundred percent like, yeah, we need to save the world, but they're realizing that the market's demanding yeah. that they yeah. play a part in it. Yes. And to, to me, that's progress. Like, are, yeah. are they, whether, you know, greenwashing is a very gray issue. It's not a, a binary. It's either, from a place of love and true intention, or it's from a place of a really good marketing campaign. At the end of the day, usually it is also still moving the needle um, towards progress. I think once a com- once a company goes and puts you know a interracial same sex couple with their kid like uh, in a commercial, it's very hard to retreat back. Yeah. So I yeah. would say that even if the intentions aren't pure. It is yeah. moving the conversation in the right space. It's creating representation for people. It's it's doing a lot of the things that we're pushing for. And then it's up to the consumer, though, to realize whether or not they're worthy of their money just because they put a really good marketing campaign out there. You know, I'm so glad you said that. But first of all, back up to you giving props to the Gen Z, because a lot of the people that come on here that are older, they don't. And so I love that. I love it. I love it. And I love that you said, yeah, they're like, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. I don't care what my parents did. So thank you for well, saying and that. And it's funny because it's I, I had a lot a lot of my class last semester. And again, I told you before we came in here, it was my first time teaching, even though I had helped with those those projects a lot in the past. But last year was the first year we did a dedicated class. And you know, I had a couple students who were upset about this or, you know, and, and the initial instinct is to quit or to, you know, I don't know, I don't know that I want to be involved with this because they did one thing or they did this thing. And, you know, having that conversation, I think where we come in is being able to say like the commitment to change and the and to encourage them to, instead of leaving, instead of, of necessarily burning it to the ground, why don't you help rebuild it? I'm, I'll help you bulldoze it. Let's not burn it to the ground. I'll help you bulldoze it and we can rebuild it together. And then you can look back 20 years from now and look at like your that. legacy and the progress you helped to make versus just if you quit, chances are that organization is going to continue. So, and obviously there's a point at which you know, I've had those jobs. I told you I quit through an email. There's some jobs that are not worth saving, but there are certain things where, you know, if you can get in, you can get some good skills. 
you can work for a company, you can help make it better, make it more sustainable, mm-hmm. serve on a, on a DEI subcommittee, you know, work with them on actually becoming a better entity. And, you know, and then when the time and day comes, you can leave and go to an even better organization, but don't just leave because, you know, it, it's yeah, not yeah. perfect because I don't think, I think we're all on that journey. So yes. I think we all need to, to hold a little more space and give a little more grace for those things of, as companies are starting to figure this out, I think we should hold their hand as opposed to uh, um, parading them around in public with like a scarlet letter. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, you're too funny. All right. So I used to say, all right, I can't get inside their heads to know why they're doing something. You know, is it really to be altruistic or, you know, is it making a more money, but is it the outcome I want? Like, is the company giving me money for the certain charity, which is going to benefit these kids just because they want to say, yay, we did good? I don't know. But Nathan, do you think it matters if the if it helps? You know, I go back. So, so it's it's funny you bring that up. So the, the original greenwashing example was hotel towels. And I can't remember what chain it was. It started putting the little placards in the rooms. It said, if you yeah. care about the environment. Yeah, yeah. You can hang your towel up and help save water and energy. And really, the hotel company was interested in saving their own water and power Absolutely. and energy and, you know, L's on the P on the L of the P&L statement. So, but at the end of the day, you look at like what was the actual outcome of that? We as consumers started hanging our towels up and, you know, I don't know what it is, by the way, when we go to hotels, we're like, I've used this once, burn it, you know, or it's like <laughs> we at home, you go like a week between washing your towels, but at hotels, you're like, nope, that's good. Throw it on the floor. Um, but we started doing that. And so the outcome was, yes, the hotel saved money and that's what they were after. But B, we did cut back on how much water was used. We did cut back on, you know, production yep. for, you know, detergent and energy to run the washer and the dryer and, you know, and then at the end of the day, it's like, okay, and if the economics of it work out, if they're cutting their costs, that cost will eventually, which I say this with a grain of salt, those costs will eventually be passed back to the consumer and lower rates for the hotel room. So I'm like, their reasoning wasn't really pure at all, but the outcome wasn't bad, you know, and then on the other side of the spectrum, there's like, the Keurig, you know, spending all the money to make this huge announcement that those stupid plastic K-cups are, are now recyclable when everybody, anybody that works in, in recycling or waste management will tell you, no, they're not because most facilities can't process them. And, mm. you know, instead of actually finding a solution to make a more sustainable K-cup, which there are millions of like the compostable ones that work in, in pod machines, instead of doing that, they came out with a whole marketing campaign about how you can now re- in theory, recycle the plastic ones. Yeah. And so yeah. that to me is the opposite end of the spectrum where I'm like, they're not even trying. They just tried yeah. to put lipstick yeah. on. Uh, it's not even a pig. It's like a corpse of a pig. Like they didn't even try. They just spent a bunch of money on a marketing campaign and went, ah, this should work. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a huge difference. Huge difference. Nathan, by the way, uh, we got to talk about this comment because I saw this and you just I was like laughing for so long and and it's just so common sense but you you were saying take action make progress the world won't improve because of a tweet or a Facebook post you gotta tell me more about that it's so true but please tell me more about that um I don't want I don't you know it's like I I hate the term cancel culture because it's overused um, but I think there is a, there is some sort of weird, 
the beast that social media has created where there's this like angry mob that goes around the hallways of Twitter or Facebook or luckily it hasn't made it to LinkedIn. It's also the reason I only use LinkedIn anymore where it's just, it's like a race to appear virtuous. It's a race to be the first one to call out some sort of perceived. I never thought of that. And LinkedIn doesn't do that. I didn't even think. No, of that. not really. There isn't a lot of, of canceling on LinkedIn. Um, because it, it tends to be, some, I don't know. I think people tend to avoid, tend to focus on networking and avoid yeah, the controversial, yeah. but which a lot of the stuff I wouldn't even say is controversial. But yeah, I think there's a race to appear virtuous. There's a race to, to signal to your friends and to your network and your peers that like, look at me. I'm outraged by this. How great of a human being am I versus the, oh the, which you, I can be, I'm, I'm probably just as outraged, but I also want to be a part of what does the solution look like? Yeah. You know, yeah. and I think there is an intent versus impact part of that equation that we need to, to, again, give grace for when sometimes somebody steps in it that didn't necessarily mean to harm. They did. They have to accept the harm they did. But I don't, but if they didn't, if that wasn't their true intention, I think we need to, extend a little bit more but yeah i think as far as change goes you know even you know one of the nonprofit boards i'm on is is keep athens clark county beautiful i'm the board chair mm -hmm. and you know i was talking to somebody about it and they said you know the tr the history of keep america beautiful and i said yeah of course i do i'm on the board you know i know i know that it was just like the little recycling logo it was a very good marketing mechanism of the plastics industry and the charity itself though has evolved into something kind of beautiful with these local chapters that serve the community and we do litter abatement and we work with schools to plant gardens and so i'm like okay i know that i could quit the board and do nothing or i could be a part of that and then and now i'm board chair and our board is much more diverse as i near the end of my term than it was before with who we filled in seats we're doing you know, we've, we're doing a, a big collaborative community pickup event and trying to engage the, the, you know, Athens is very still historically divided. And we're doing a huge Juneteenth event with the Minority Business and Nonprofit Association that we would have never done two years ago before I was on this board. So I think that taking action, making progress, like it's still not making it a perfect organization, but I feel like we've done so much in that time and i've taken on a lot of the the work and i have a really supportive board and a really supportive executive director but if i quit what's different yeah i yeah. i never make that impact i never i never you know whatever you're saying like if we're in a boat you know if we were going straight i veered us a little bit to the right or left or whatever direction we want to go i'll keep it apolitical but i veered us in <laughs> off that course a little bit and what i would say onto a slightly better course and that's the whole yeah. civic duty we all have and i you know i think the true impact we're going to have is doing the right thing and making that progress even if you you know it, a lot of the change i hope to see i might not live to see it but i'm not that doesn't stop me from being a part of the work that needs to be done yeah so and I, also that quote to me like i literally had t-shirts made with that quote on it to me means like you had t-shirts made i yeah just for myself a little oh. local t-shirt <laughs> shop in athens i just got t-shirts made because i, I would it. want that t-shirt <laughs> And I, yeah, I have that one, and then I have some B Corp. Anyway, I love our little T-shirt shop. So, and they have some like recycled cotton shirts that will they'll print for me. So, but yeah, that to me it also means I think a lot of people. I saw a stat that only twenty five percent of Americans volunteer, which is appalling. 
And, you know, and I'm, I think I'm this year, I'm on pace to hit like 600 hours because I lost volunteer of the year award at work last year. And so nobody's going to beat me this year. But, you know, I serve on nonprofit boards. <laughs> I go on trash walks. Like I literally have a trash grabber. I'll take a bag. I'll walk around the neighborhood. I'll pick up trash. I'll listen to a podcast. I call it triple tasking because I'm listen. I'm getting exercise. I'm learning and I'm volunteering. Yeah. So, but I, I think a lot of us, at least my theory is that people don't get involved because they're so overwhelmed by everything that needs to be done in the world and they watch the news and woe is me, nothing will ever change, what's the yeah. point? And to me, it's those small little ripples. It's an hour of picking up trash. It's that yeah. hour month that you serve on that nonprofit board and that you aim to make it better than, than, than when you found it. And all those little ripples, I think if we all did more ripples, well, it's just like a, you know, it's like a lake. We'd have a giant wave of change if more of yeah. us took the time to make our own little ripples. So, yeah, yeah. that's that's kind of what it means to me in a, what is a Nathan nutshell, which is always like, you know, six minutes of me rambling. <laughs> I No, no, I love it because I was just saying to my friends, they I see them, you know, they complain, da, 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 they yell at the TV. And I try not to get angry i'm like what you're doing nothing you're not doing anything about it like get up and get involved some way besides i said the same thing besides just posting and there are two things nathan which you hit on one is they don't believe they can make a dent and the second one they don't believe they have the time which is ridiculous we all can make time yeah there's nothing more offensive to me sometimes than when people uh when they tell me like, hey, you know that I have to reschedule our, you know, and sometimes I'm trying to actually get better at this, but I'm really underwater. I'm like, you know, and I agreed to meet with them and I'm like, do you think I'm ever not underwater? <laughs> like, you know, but there's, there's just, I don't know if, if, if it's impactful, you only get one trip around the sun. So like, if you have the time to do it, I guess we get more than one trip around the sun, but whatever you get one. <laughs> yeah. No, the blue, I, I was noticing the one thing about the blue and green ball. Like, I, I would like that. Yeah, I'm like, what's the actual expression? Whatever it is, you you know, you get you, you have one shot to make an impact in this life. So, um, you know, and it's 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 honestly something too. I think that you develop a lot of skills. I think a lot of people miss that opportunity. You know, I talked to somebody yesterday in their mid twenties looking to change jobs, and I have these conversations all the time. It's what inspired me to write the book and. You know, like, hey, you know, it's a really good way to put tools on your, you know, skills and build skills and experiences and throw those on your resume. Volunteering, serving on a board, you know, serving on their business committee, your networking. Like, there's that old adage, work harder on yourself than you do on your job. So, yeah, I think there's that that lack of willingness to invest in community and the people you meet when you do that kind of work and investing in themselves to to develop something get a little bit outside of their comfort zone um and those tend to be i think the people that wake up late in life going like i'm still doing the same thing that i was miserable at 30 years ago and i never changed it um i never did anything to kind of change the situation or change the direction or trajectory of where i was headed so i think yeah being a little more intentional and thinking about like, where does my time go and how do I invest in myself and my community? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, every time you do give back, I always say, I feel like it's really for me because I feel so good inside. Don't you, you feel it's like, I'm like, listen, I'm really a selfish person. When you help people, I feel really good inside. Yeah. Uh, And that's, it's funny because that's what, uh, 
I've been trying to get, you know, even at work sometimes, just trying to get the people who never volunteer, trying to find ways to, you know, especially people, you know, if you have young kids, it's really hard to go out on a Saturday morning when you have to go from baseball practice, baseball practice to the softball field, back to the soccer practice, you know, like that, (laughs) you can't just go pick up trash like I can. And I realize that, but you know, what can I find for those employees of ours where it's like, what could I find virtual? You know, where they could help a nonprofit with some of their IT needs when, you know, they're, they they don't have the budget to hire us as consultants, but maybe we could, you know, help build some reports in their sales force for them. You know, maybe we could help set it up for them. You know, maybe we could, whatever, even if it's creating a Google form, things that a lot of people don't know how to do. What could we do to help? And how could I give my employee one hour from four to five on a Wednesday to volunteer and help an organization? How can I pair them with that organization so that they get that same feeling of giving back? And then I think you're kind of planting the seed for future volunteering. Because I had an employee last year who was like, you know, I didn't know what to do. So I just signed up for something. And now she's hooked. Her goal this year is to beat me um, in volunteer hours. (laughs) So, but that was it. It was just her just, she said she kept seeing that we, you know, our company did all these fun things and she's remote. So she signed up for something locally and now she's hooked and now she's on the planning committee. And I think she's serving on the board of that. Like, so she's gotten just like, don't like, and I'm, it excites me because you're like, okay, maybe that's part of my ripple is that then, you know, she's connected to my ripple because I inspired her to start doing things. And so that's like kind of the sweet spot too of like, not only do I feel good, but as I watch other people get inspired to take action, um, that feels really good too. But yeah, no, I have a board meeting tonight at four and I'm so excited. Like I'm, I'm really excited to see everybody and we've got some big, you know, updates to make and there's some, some really cool things we're working on. And yeah, there's a, there's like a, just like I would be excited to like go to a really exciting work meeting. I, I just have this like air of excitement right now in me of like, all right, I get to go serve the community. So when you were growing up, was that instilled in you by your parents? Volunteer? I mean, I know I did some volunteer stuff with them, but I don't, I wouldn't say, I don't really know where it came from. I, you know, I, I know that probably from like key club in high school or, you know, I'm sure we did some events, but I don't remember, sorry, mom and dad, I don't remember them being particularly active <laughs> yeah. um, in the community. Granted, my mom was a teacher. Um, she was a substitute and then she was an AP American history teacher. And um, she didn't always teach at some of the best schools in Miami. So I, I, I would say she served plenty and maybe yeah. that's some yeah. of it. Um, and, and, you know, my dad had a corporate life for a while and then, you know, just kind of took over and basically involved in every like high school and rec league in Miami for just about every sport. So he was probably working 80 hours a week, but yeah, I don't, I don't really know where it came from that, I know I remember serving in in high school a little bit in college, you know, doing the, you know, Habitat home build, you know, and and at Enterprise, I think we got, uh, I think on, if you did a certain number of volunteer hours and donated a certain amount of money, you got to wear a polo shirt once a month (laughs) (laughs) on a Friday. (laughs) And I think the level was like a thousand dollars and like every employee donated a thousand dollars just not to have to wear a suit one day a month. So, but yeah, I think, I don't know. And it's just, it's just taken on, it's just kind of built from there where it's just, and, and, and honestly, once I found board service, oh, that was a game changer. I love serving on boards because now not only do I get to make an impact, I get to steer an entire organization. Yeah. Yeah. I could see you loving that. Well, you know, you said, and I, I want to circle back to that. There was a point that you got sick of seeing capitalization. I don't want to misquote you, but like you just got tired of it, of capitalism. Yeah. Um, I, don't I, know if that had I mean, I would say, do with it. I think part of it, I think that there's an element of, um, 
And again, I'm still a ca- like. I think when people call for the end of capitalism, I get a little frustrated because I'm like, capitalism still is the system by which goods and services are controlled by entities and people that are private, by private industry. That's capitalism. That's it in a nutshell. It's been perverted to mean that it's Milton Friedman capitalism, that it's, you know, big pharma capitalism, but capitalism is capitalism, you know, and it's still the best system we've come up with. But how do we make it work for everybody? And I think that is, I touched on it a little bit with my journey, but I mean, burning out on capitalism was really just that those, those years of, you know, getting, getting laid off because our office shut down and then going to work for the company that shut our office down and, and, kind of being taken advantage of from the number of hours I was working in the amount they were paying. And then as yeah. soon as I, you get that up and running and I got all the processes down where now the hours came back down, they severanced me. And then they dumped all, I knew the guy, the other manager in the office, they gave all of my work and my staff and my team and my operation to him. And they gave him no extra money. And so you start to see these things unfold and you're like, and then even, even some of the, the stuff where I, I was for a little while, I went, I went back to enterprise and I was selling used the, the, in their used car sales division, which I probably the one division I never wanted to work in. Cause I'm not a yeah. great closer and I'm looking at like some people got great deals. I mean, as a whole, that organization, that's, it's a pretty, if you can find the right car coming out of rental, it is a wonderful deal. And people would come in pre-approved with the credit union, but then you get the person who's working and they don't really have the income or the credit history, but we get them approved and it's a six year term and it's a, you know, 14.99% interest rate. And it's already a two year old car. And you're like, this car won't even be running and they'll still be paying yeah. for it and you're yeah. like don't do it like why did we even approve them or why couldn't we figure out a way to make that more affordable like why are we putting somebody in a situation to we'll we'll make our money back you know we the financing arm not not enterprise yeah they'll make their money back and then some but this person's probably going to end up in a worse credit spot than they are now and so and then you know and i went through the housing crisis and you know i was living in las vegas like rock bottom or whatever the epicenter of that when that all went down and then watching all these people with capital that survived then buy up all the properties and now being able to rent them out to everybody and i just watching all this unfold and then seeing this b corp movement in front of me going like oh my god there there is good in the world there are people who you know aren't afraid to make money and aren't afraid yeah, to yeah. run a business the way a business needs to be run and sometimes that means firing people that need to be let go it means you know closing down operations that aren't profitable it doesn't mean that you're necessarily always going to make the best decision for everybody um but for the most part, you start to get inspired when you meet people who have come up with some really cool for-profit solutions to societal issues. I mean, we have one yeah. in Atlanta that pairs pairs that picks up food waste from major convention centers and then takes them to food shops. So the convention center, yeah. or the, the the airport, or will pay them to take the food. They get the tax write off for the donation. So they've created a logistical solution to the hunger problem and food waste problem. And then you get in, and there's an environmental component to the food rotting in landfills. I mean, it was just so cool that they came up with that. There was one in Amsterdam. They made boats out of recycled plastic bottles that they fished out of the canals. They used those bottles. They charge tourists to ride around on the canals and go plastic fishing. They take those plastic bottles that these tourists have paid to fish. They built more boats 
and then they charge more tourists. And so they're cleaning up the canals. They're getting the yeah. plastic out. They're giving tourists a wonderful experience in Amsterdam. Like, well, who comes up with these ideas? So that to yeah. me has been the cool part of seeing all these like actual yeah. societal societal issues being fixed by for-profit solutions um, yeah. and the business world, which I would say entrepreneurs have been probably on the forefront the forefront of solving society's problems for a really long time. They figure out what the need is and they create the product that solves the need. And that's what we've been doing for a really long time. And now we've just figured out a way to do it for good. You know, we got to go. I can't believe we have to wrap up already because I had so much I didn't get in. But the one thing that I want to end with is the statement you said over, it's okay to use the good you are doing in the world to build your personal or your company brand. You know, I struggled with this for so many years, Nathan. I thought it had to be separate. Yeah, uh, it's, it's so I, I always, and I don't know if it's his quote or not, but Matt Stevens is a friend of mine. He works at the local brewery that is a B Corp. And, um, and we work together, obviously, very closely. They came through UGA and did the project. But he has this quote, he always says, it's better to be seen doing good than to do good to be seen. And so I think people need to realize, and, and I think about that too, as long as it's not super self-serving, like, hey, look at me. But I look at what I've done and sometimes, you know, it's, and I'll post pictures of me on LinkedIn and I'm, you know, after a trash walk or I posted one around the, the holidays where I was dressed up. I went as a tra- on a trash walk dressed as Santa. Um, <laughs> and it was, it was pretty popular, shocking. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. and then we did, we, we did a company trash pickup the weekend before that. And I wore my Santa suit out there. People were honking and having a good time. And I'm like, so in a weird way, like, yes, I'm shining a spotlight on myself and going, Oh, look how virtuous I am. But hey, I'm also doing the work. I'm not just like, Hey, people should pick up more trash. That would be cool. Like, no, I'm actually the one out there with the trash grabber. But B, I, I mean, I think of the one employee who felt inspired and decided to challenge me this year for volunteer total, you know, for the total volunteer hours award. And, and I think about that and I'm like, okay, so I haven't necessarily, yes, I've, I've, I've gotten some attention from it, but, and it's been good for my, you know, as far as I, I run into people and they're like, man, you've been everywhere lately. I see you all over LinkedIn and you're volunteering. Yeah. So it's been good for my brand, but I also feel like it's made a positive impact on the world and even from the, you know, on individuals inspiring them, but even on the community basis from a business standpoint, yeah, I want other companies, you know what? It's a competitive advantage that we're a B Corp. It's a competitive advantage that we're out living by our values and we're volunteering and we're doing these things and we're serving and we're doing pro bono work and, you know, our people are taking their, you know, as much of their 40 as they can. And I want other employees to see that of other companies I think yeah. that moves the market. I think that tells other Absolutely. companies like, oh crap, we better be doing these things. So yeah, I think it's, I think the net impact is positive of those types of things, as long as they're not completely self-serving. I think you'll yeah. know when you, yeah. they're self-serving, but you have to get over a little bit of the cringeworthiness initially of being like, <laughs> I don't want to post this. There's always going to be somebody who's rolling their eyes at you and you just need to get over it. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, Nathan Stuck, thank you so much for being on Let's Keep It Real. But before we wrap up, is there anything besides telling them how they can reach you that we didn't get in that you wanted to touch on? Oh, God, no. I don't think, I think I, you know, I think I touched on everything. But yeah, I think just try to see the good in the world and try to be a force for good in the world. No matter how big or small your impact or your ability to make an impact, I I think we we need more of it. Um, so, So don't. Don't let all the dreariness and sadness and the bad news headlines keep you from from being a ripple of of change. 
Yeah, I like that. Oh, and then I have to tell them where to get in touch with me? Well, we want (laughs) that. You know, I know LinkedIn, but if they want to reach out, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm primarily LinkedIn. It's linkedin.com slash Nathan A. Stuck. And then I always joke, if you need a good Salesforce implementation, (laughs) advic.com. And then if you um, just want to learn more about kind of the B Corp space and my consulting work and everything, um, you can check out ProfitablePurposeConsulting.com or BeLocalGeorgia.com. And BeLocalGeorgia has a lot of links to a lot of the main B Corp stuff. And honestly, even if you're interested in certifying as a B Corp, we have a web form on there that uh, it comes to me So I, because I have to get projects for a growing academic footprint in the state of Georgia. So I'm always looking for projects. I'm also on the board of B Academics. So I also need projects for schools throughout the country. So if you're interested in learning more, I'm always happy to have that conversation. Thank you, Nathan. I really appreciate it. My Let's Keep It Real people, you know you're going to want to share this, rate this, and like it. We will be most appreciative. And you know what I'm going to say. Until next time, toodles. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share and subscribe if you enjoyed the show. And remember, keep spreading the positive.